0: Hi there, you're listening to the Upstate Anecdote Society. This podcast is brought to you by Furman University's Collaborative for Community Engaged Learning in partnership with the David E. Shai Center for Sustainability. I'm Jared Hanley, and with each episode of this podcast, we're going to explore issues relating to sustainability and social justice in Greenville County, South Carolina, the place I've come to call home. The goal of this show isn't just to raise awareness about these issues. It's to bring them to life, by letting you hear the real-life stories of people whose lives have been affected by them, for better or for worse. In this first episode, I'm starting things off by taking us on a trip right down the road from Furman University's campus, to a place called Soteria. From the outside, the Soteria Corporation looks fairly unassuming. It consists simply of a long, low, single-story office building and, next to that, a large, barn-sized workshop, from which the sounds of wood being cut and stacked faintly emanates. However, as I sit in the lobby of Soteria, waiting for my appointment, I look at the numerous plaques and awards in the lobby's walls and it becomes evident that this mundane building houses a very unique organization. There are certificates from various local organizations, several framed articles from the Greenville News, and not one, but two resolutions passed down from the South Carolina State Senate. All these documents have one thing in common. All of them are commendations for Pastor Jerry Blassingame, the Executive Director of Soteria, and the man I'm here to meet today. Also on the wall is a poster outlining Soteria's mission statement. It tells me that Soteria Community Development Corporation advocates for economic and social justice for those and their families impacted by the criminal justice system. We work to create opportunities for previously incarcerated men to re-enter society through transitional housing, life skills, and job training. That all sounds well and good, but if that was all I wanted to hear, I I could have just gone to their website and saved myself the drive. And from what I've already heard about Soteria, their program for helping previously incarcerated men is a lot more revolutionary than the clinical corporate language makes it seem. That's why I've arranged to speak to Jerry, to find out just what it is that makes Soteria unique. Right as the receptionist takes pity on me and tells me I can take a look around by myself if I want, Pastor Jerry finally makes his appearance just in time to show me around the premises himself He starts by showing me the newly renovated office space at the rear of the building, which is all beautifully finished with reclaimed wood paneling. The paneling is from Soteria's own workshop, which is the next stop on the tour. We walk out of the main office building and take a left, going up a concrete ramp into the big corrugated iron building. Once inside, Jerry starts to give me a rundown of Soteria's day-to-day operations, occasionally pausing to give instructions to some of his guys. All of the men in the workshop have recently been released from prison. As I am introduced to them, I notice that there are various ages and ethnicities. In fact, the only thing that all of them have in common is their bright blue Soteria work shirts, and their hands, which all feel thick and leathery to the touch from all the woodworking they do on a daily basis. But giving these men jobs in their workshop is only part of the package that Soteria offers, as Pastor Jerry explains to me later when we were in his office. As Jerry talks, it quickly becomes apparent that Soteria isn't just a job or a side project for him. It's his passion, his life's work. And he isn't content to just keep it at its current level, either. He wants to see it evolve and expand. I also find out that when people said he was a visionary, they meant it in a very literal sense. The final question I have for Jerry is a relatively simple one. I want to know what it was specifically in his own experience that made him recognize the need for a program like this. While Jerry's words are inspiring, I also want to know how all this might look to someone who isn't a visionary. To an everyday practical guy who just so happens to have been released from prison within the past few months and is trying to find his footing, what makes Soteria appealing out of all the numerous other organizations that help with the re-entry process? So I sit down with Lamont one of the men currently part of the Soteria program, who agrees to speak with me on the condition that I don't disclose his full name. Lamont spent 13 years in prison for armed robbery and kidnapping and was released just two weeks before this interview. I'm struck by this revelation because to my sheltered, middle-class eyes, he doesn't really look like someone who's been to prison. He doesn't have any facial scars or teardrops tattooed under one eye. His manner is reserved, but relaxed, even friendly. He jokes around with me when he first sees my microphone, asking if we're about to do a freestyle rap battle. He surprises me even further with how open he is about his background and how he found himself incarcerated in the first place. Lamont says that one of the reasons he chose Soteria was that he was worried if he didn't, he would find himself in the exact same circumstances that landed him in prison in the first place. Finally, when I asked Lamont what it is that he believes makes Soteria special, his answer is very different from Pastor Jerry's. He doesn't think it has anything to do with the mission statement of the organization. He thinks it has a lot more to do with the kind of people who work here and who decide to live here. My interview with Lamont concluded, I finally leave Soteria. As I'm walking back towards my car, I feel... Conflicted. I'm acutely aware of the fact that I'm leaving behind a realm of cyclical poverty and felony convictions to return to a country club-esque college campus just up the road. I'm aware of the fact that this day trip is actually many people's nightmare world. My brain conjures up the memory of the time I looked up Greenville County on the racial dot map of the USA and saw that Furman's campus was like a white desert isle in a sea of African American and Hispanic neighborhoods. But at the same time, I'm reminded of why I wanted to participate in this project in the first place. For people who look like me, faith in the system is oftentimes implicit. And just as often it takes being confronted with someone else's harsh lived experience before we're willing to question that faith. And while my faith in institutions has unquestionably been shaken by what both Pastor Jerry and Lamont have told me about their experiences in jail, the compassion that everyone at Soteria clearly has has made sure that my faith in humanity is still resilient. Greenlink, Greenville's public transportation system, has a modest fleet of buses, most of which are regular diesel buses provided by a local manufacturer. But they've also recently added two electric buses to their fleet, and they have plans to add more in the coming years. There's also one other bus that's completely different from the others. It has half the capacity of the other buses in Greenlink's fleet, and when it leaves the Greenlink Transit Center every morning, it doesn't go along a fixed route with designated stops. Instead, it picks up its passengers one at a time from specific addresses, houses, apartments, nursing homes, and takes them directly to their destination. This is the Green Link paratransit bus. It caters to anyone in Greenville County who can't walk down the street and wait at a bus stop due to old age or disability. And today, I'm going to go riding along on To better understand why this service needs to exist, how it operates, and what more, if anything, Greenlink can do to make their services accessible to the disabled and the elderly. I meet Ron, the paratransit driver, in the waiting room and walk with him into the subterranean dark of the bus depot so we can get in our ride. The paratransit bus, as you might imagine, stands out amidst all the other buses idling nearby. It's the same type of bus that most school districts have to accommodate students with special needs, and it's outfitted with a fully motorized wheelchair ramp. As I sit with Ron in the bus, killing time for a little bit before our first appointment, we chat for a while. Mostly about his nephew's psychedelic rock career he's currently on tour his own love of rock and country music, and the work he does for his church when he's not driving for Greenlink. Indeed, he looks and sounds more like somebody you'd see on stage at a folk music festival than a typical public transit employee. But when I ask him about his job, his eyes light up and suddenly the paratransit system is all he wants to talk about. What Ron just said really stuck out to me, the thing about how everyone has a handicap in some aspect or another. I think to myself that framing it this way could be a great way to get people to care about issues that affect people with disabilities, or even for raising awareness about the type of institutional problems that the staff at Soteria have to deal with on a daily basis. As Ron says, everyone needs a helping hand sometimes, and a gentle reminder of that fact might make people less reluctant to help others in need or, at the very least, recognize that there is, indeed, a larger problem here. I get lost in thought for a moment as Ron talks in more depth about why exactly he's stuck around with Greenlink for so long, after leaving a lot of similar jobs after only a few years. Despite my earlier suspicions, Ron tells me that he is not, nor has he ever been, a folk musician. He says that he's been working jobs similar to this one for pretty much his entire adult life, but he makes sure to tell me that out of all the driving jobs he's ever had, he finds driving the Greenlink paratransit bus to be the most fulfilling one by far. By now, it's time to head out to our first appointment. Ron warns me that Sheila, the first lady we're going to pick up, is, quote, a real Yankee, which is to say that she doesn't like talking to strangers. He says it took her months to warm up to him enough to have a substantial conversation, and that I shouldn't be offended if she doesn't take kindly to all my personal questions. A few minutes later, we arrive at her apartment. Sheila shuffles down the sidewalk towards the bus, supporting herself with a four-legged walker. Without having to ask a single question, I can already see why the system that all the other Greenlink buses use wouldn't work at all for someone with certain physical limitations. Even if there was a bus stop right outside her building, she probably wouldn't be able to negotiate the space between the sidewalk and the street to actually get onto a typical public bus. I can tell just from looking at them that The sidewalk and curbs here are not ADA compliant, as is the case in many lower-income neighborhoods. The curbs are high off of the ground, lacking any kind of ramp or gentle incline, and the pavement is cracked and uneven in many places. As Ron helps Sheila onto the bus, I can just barely hear him putting in a good word for me over the sound of the mechanical ramp lowering and rising. Sheila seems a little wary of me at first, But she gradually warms up to me the longer that we talk. The first question I ask her is simply why she uses paratransit and what her thoughts about the service are. Sheila says she wishes more people knew about the paratransit service offered by Greenlink because she didn't know about it when she first moved to Greenville six years ago, and she tried out some similar privately owned transit services that she found to be less than satisfactory. Even worse than these private paratransit companies, she says, are the local taxi companies in Greenville, which she says are very different from the taxis in her native New York City and often take advantage of people like herself who have no other way of getting around. Eventually, we reach our destination, a Publix on the other side of town. As Sheila gets off the bus, reusable bags in hand, I notice that the sidewalks here aren't much better than the ones by her apartment complex. As Ron fires up the engine and we head off to our next appointment, I think about what Pastor Jerry said back at Soteria, about how there's 48,000 collateral consequences that come with being convicted of a felony. 48,000 barriers to success and happiness that are completely invisible to most people. I wonder how many collateral consequences there are for people who've been in bus accidents, or even just people who are too old to take care of themselves, but still live alone. Then I wonder if the exact number really matters. But just like my trip to Soteria, my ride along with Ron has left me feeling conflicted. Because it's starting to seem like, wherever the worst examples of systematic injustice exist, you'll also find some of the kindest, warmest people you've ever met, dedicating their lives to helping people weather that injustice to the best of their ability. One thing I do know for sure is that my work with Soteria and with Greenlink isn't done just yet. Well, that just about does it for the first episode of Upstate Anecdote Society. If you're passionate about sustainability or social justice issues, or if you just love listening to people share their true stories and life experiences, I hope you'll stick around with me as I continue to explore Soteria, GreenLink, and other local organizations. Because trust me, what I've just covered is merely the tip of the iceberg. Once again, This is Jared Hanley with Furman University's Collaborative for Community Engaged Learning, signing off.